Good morning. Our series scripture is uh, found in Acts 2, verses 42 to 47. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We continue this morning with our sermon series called In Community, in which we will examine aspects of what living in community looks like, things we ought to be doing in order to assure that we are in community. We talked about prayer. In community, we pray together. We talked about fellowship. In community, we fellowship together. And today, as we close out this brief four-part sermon series, we will talk about reaching out. That in community, we reach out together. Let's invoke the Lord's name. Father God, to whom all glory belongs, we do say thank you. We ask you, Father, now through the power of your Holy Spirit to link your word to our hearts. And Lord, that each one of us will leave here a little closer to where we ought to be with you. In your name I do pray. Amen. It's interesting, after devoting themselves to teaching and to, and to prayer, to breaking of the bread and to fellowship, the church moved out from their homes, because that's where they did church. They did church in their homes. So they moved out from their homes and they went into the temple courts. And, and they did this, we're told, daily. Not, not once a week, but every single day. They would meet there, they would gather there, and they would participate there. So, so during the, the days of Jesus in the early church, it was known as Herald, Herod's Temple. Not Herald's Temple, which I thought as a young man growing up that somehow this temple was owned by a guy named Herald. It was Herod's Temple. Um, there were four separate, separate temple courts, each one separated from one another and each designed for a different purpose. You can see in, in, in this picture here, I'm not sure the entirety of the accuracy. I, they didn't have cameras back then that I know of, but this is what, what uh, a rendering looks like. So there you see that there is the court of priests. And that was only accessible to the Levitical priesthood because this was where the altar stood. So no one could go there except for the priests. Then there was the court of Israel. This is where ceremonial, clean Jewish males were allowed to be. That's it, no one else. Then there was the court of women, which was the only area in the temple that women could worship in. And then finally, if you see off to the side there, you'll see the court of, of Gentiles. This is where anyone could, could gather. A, a Gentile was a non-Jewish person. So, so Jew or Gentile, man or woman, pure or impure, anyone could gather in the court of the Gentiles. It was also referred to as the outer court because it was located technically outside of the temple. 
So it was here in the court of the Gentiles where you could mill about, exchange money, exchange small talk, and even buy animal sacrifices to be used in the inner courts. It was from this court of the Gentiles that Jesus, in the Gospels on two occasions, both in John and in Matthew, that he drove out the money changers, declaring in Matthew 21, 13, it is written, my home, my house, shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of, of robbers. Really what Jesus was saying was, this is the only place that non-Jewish people can go, and this is the only place they can go to pray. And you guys are making it so busy, it's like a, it's like a mall on, 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 on Boxing Day. It's just too noisy, too busy, so this is not what this was meant for. Get out. That was the, the, the reasoning behind Jesus chasing out these money changers. And so in our sermon last week, we were told that they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. I, I think it, it, it's, it's a safe conclusion that the early church worshipped God in their homes. And then they continued to worship God in the temple, but, but on a daily basis. And I don't think the early church went to the temple to worship God in the same way you and I think about on Sunday morning, because they did that in their homes. They had another reason for going to the temple to worship God every single day. And that was to spread the good news of Jesus. They, they knew they didn't need the temple sacrifices anymore because they had Jesus. They knew they didn't have to offer up animals in order to get forgiveness for their sins because they had Jesus. And so the reason they continued to go to the temple courts was in part to reach out, to introduce Jesus to those who had not yet met him or accepted him. The men would go with the men and the women with the, men, with the women, but I believe we can also assume that together both men and women would show up in the court of the Gentiles to share Jesus with anyone who would listen to them. And what they were sharing was the story of God's grace who came in the form of Jesus Christ, their Messiah. Now likewise, as an extension of the New Testament church, we too here in Lloyd Minister, in New Life Community Church, we ought to meet daily in the temple courts, not just on Sundays. Small problem. We, we don't have a temple to go to every day, so to speak. What we have, though, are we have local gathering places where people can come together to mill about, to exchange small talk, and enter into transactional businesses together. So our court of the Gentiles, then, is actually the world outside of these doors. It's, it's where, it's, it's everywhere out there. But it can also be in here. Because we don't segregate. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or a non-believer. We're all sinners saved by grace, and everyone is welcome here at New Life Community Church. It's wherever people can be impacted with the good news so that the Lord would add to the number daily those that are being saved. 
the early church knew and, and modeled for us that it's in community that we reach out together. We are to be dispensers of God's grace. So in community, we dispense grace together. Yes, to one another, but perhaps more importantly, to those who are outside of our faith community. But what is grace? What are we dispensing? Well, as Pastor Elijah said earlier, grace is the unmerited favor of God towards man. The Bible is drenched in grace. Grace is soaked into our scriptures to the point that it drips with grace. It has the aroma of grace. It tastes of grace. The entirety of our scriptures is built in and for grace. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the definition of biblical grace. Ephesians 2.8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is a gift of God. This is the biblical definition of grace. Grace is a gift. It's given in love. Grace leads us to salvation. Grace leads people to Jesus. Don't miss that. Grace leads people to Jesus. This is what the early church was doing in the temple courts being grace-filled so as to lead people to Jesus. They understood what the Hebrew writer would later confirm to us. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. If you have a Bible with you, and you don't mind marking up your Bible, this is a verse I have underlined in my scriptures. See to it that no one misses the grace of God. The only way people miss the grace of God is if it's not extended to them. When God's grace falls on you, it's unmistakable. His unmerited, unconditional love and favor toward people can't be missed. It does, however, sometimes needs to be explained and demonstrated. And that's done by us. We who are the children of his grace. The only way people miss the grace of God is if we don't extend it to them or explain it to them. You and I know God's grace is not blind luck. It's not a coincidence. It's not a fortunate happenstance. It's not fate. It is a gift of God. Unmerited favor. Something we don't deserve, but he wants to give us out of love. And when we accept it, it can suddenly transform your life when you least expect it. We know that. We in this faith community, we know that, but the world doesn't. 
We've all had God's grace fall on us, seemingly out of the clear blue sky, and it was unmistakable. But to the world, it isn't. They don't get it. So we who are recipients of God's grace must become dispensers of God's grace. Because this is what community does. I'm afraid, though, that we in the North American church, we might be neglecting this directive a little bit. We have become so busy in North America that we find ways to avoid interacting with others outside of our faith community. The church was put in place by God to daily interact with the world, yet we have put blinders on focusing on things that are about me and my family, things that are important to me and my family. The church was put in place by God to make disciples, though. We are to be Jesus to each other and to the world because that's what's important to God. So life can't be all about me and all about God at the same time. Life can't be all about you and all about God at the same time. So we need to start simplifying our lives, develop more meaningful depth and purpose in our relationships so that we can dispense God's grace to the world. Christian author Patrick Linnell, he calls these types of grace activities, when, we, when the church goes out and dispenses grace in their community, at the hands of believers living in community, he calls these things grace bombs. Now when you and I shift our focus from ourselves and our wants onto the world and their needs, we will go out into our temple courts and dispense God's grace onto people. Now, for the people receiving this grace, it can be both unsettling and disruptive because that's what bombs do. Bombs disrupt. In a negative, in a very negative and tragic sense, man-made bombs have an unsettling impact, changing lives dramatically for the worse. And not ironically, they often appear out of the blue sky when you least expect it. But when God Stay with me on this one, folks. But when God drops his version of a bomb, this, this grace bomb, it, disrupt, it disrupts life in order to restore it. His bombs are not weapons of destruction, but they are weapons of construction. Patrick Linnell continues and he writes, he says, the juxtaposition of the words grace and bomb is a redemptive contrast, taking a concept that has brought darkness and pain to our world, like bombs, and repurposing it for good. This is the business God is in, taking what is meant for evil and using it for good. And we, we see that in Scripture. A couple examples. Genesis 50, 20. Joseph says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. 
Joseph's brother, if you don't know the story, uh, sold him into slavery because <laughs> they wanted to get rid of him. They were jealous of him and his position in the family. And Joseph later rises to the ranks of, of second in command in the Egyptian army. And, and he says, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He was able to rescue his brothers and his family and his nation from a famine because of the position he rose to while he was in slavery. The cross is another example. When Jesus died, it was a despised tool of war, yet God used that cross to bring about the greatest good the world has ever seen because it was through Jesus' death on that cross that we have forgiveness for sins today. 1 Timothy 4.4 says, For everything created by God is good. James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift is from above. So if God grace bombs people, which he does. We who receive his grace, we ought to be grace bombers as well. Because this is what the early church community was all about. Daily going into the world to drop grace bombs on unexpecting people in need. And God added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. Don't miss that part. So we live in a world of photo bombs, bath bombs, truth bombs. And I'm told that the youth today use a very special phrase. It's still very much used with the youth. It's called, you're the bomb. Right, youth? That's still a very popular phrase? Yeah, okay, good. Just wanted to check. Yeah, they, they weren't steering me wrong. That's good. We live in a world of bombs. So this time is the right time, I think, to rally an army of grace bombers who would drop tangible tastes of surprising love to brighten someone's day. Now, we're talking about going beyond random acts of kindness. Those are good. Don't get me wrong. I, I participate in random acts of kindness as much as I'm able to. But this is, we're going to go beyond that with these grace bonds. I'm not talking about buying the person in the car behind you at Tim Hortons a coffee. That's good. Keep doing that stuff. But that's not what we're talking about this morning. Because grace bombing is personal. It's face-to-face, -face, not anonymous. And it helps us point people to the source of grace itself. Jesus Christ. There's only a few things on earth that have the same kind of disruptive effect that God's grace has. Because the grace of God changes lives dramatically for the better. You know it because you've experienced it. So let's dispense it to others. We, we tried doing this in, in Medicine Hat when we were pastoring down there. And, and we kind of used different language, but the idea was the same. Go out person to person dispensing grace. I'm going to give you a couple really quick examples of what we did and what happened. So we told our men, the church was made of a lot of contractors. We said, go out into the community, dispense grace. It was during a housing rise. 
Getting laborers in to paint or to fix things was nearly impossible during that time in Medicine Hat. It was an upswing, if you will. And we had a gal who lived across the street from the church, literally across the street, had been trying for almost a year to get painters to come and paint her house so she could sell it. We went door to door, handed out flyers. If you need something done, we're here to do it for you. She called the church. Would you, her name was Jan. Would you, would you come and, and paint my house? And we said, absolutely. We sent a crew of men over there. The instruction was, you do not speak the name of Jesus, but you show the grace of Jesus. And so they painted that house from top to bottom, beautiful. Today, Jan not only accepted Jesus, but now she's one of the leaders in the church down in Medicine Hat. Prior to that, she didn't even know who Jesus was. We paid the damage deposit for a woman in need, which led a man in our church by the name of Murray to start a ministry of building homes for single mothers and then helping them to secure financing so the single moms could own those homes. Isn't that amazing? We gave food and clothing to a woman named Brenda, and that led her to Jesus, which led her to begin a pantry ministry, helping people less fortunate in the area of the church. And that ministry continues to this day in Medicine Hat. We helped cover the cost of some prescription drugs for a gentleman, and it led Kelvin to going to Tunisia to become a missionary. Grace bombing is all about loving your neighbors, motivated by grace. Not with random acts of kindness, but with intentional acts of love prompted by the Holy Spirit. We ought to be, we who, <laughs> we who are recipients of God's grace need to be dispensers of God's grace. So who then ought to be the recipients? Well, it's scriptural. Your neighbor. <laughs> Start with someone you already have some sort of relationship with. Could be your boss. Could be your, hawk, your, your favorite food server at a restaurant that you go to, to eat a lot. Um, could be your hockey coach. Could be your teammate. Could be your real estate agent. Could be your banker. Could be your co-worker. A frequent customer. Could be your literal neighbor to your left or to your right or across the street from you. Anyone who doesn't yet realize that they need God's grace, go and drop a grace bomb on them. And a, and a grace bomb dropped at a right time allows you to put love on display in a practical way. And love is an enemy killer. Isn't that how God works? Is it not his kindness that leads people to repentance? Romans 2.4. Again, another Bible verse that I have underlined in mine. God's kindness is intended to lead to repentance. So, so a grace bomb intentionally implicates Jesus. And by doing so, it, it points to the source of kindness itself. To the God who is love. At its core, what we are referring to is actually all about obedience on our part. The church is to put in practice what we've been told by Jesus to do. Love God. Love your neighbor. And to leave the outcome in God's hand. 
So you may not be setting out to change a life when you follow the prompting of God to love a neighbor with no strings attached, but he might. You, you might even, he might even want to change your life. You might see only a random event, but God sees a divine appointment. You might only see an average person in the mirror when you look every morning and you wash your face, but God sees a grace-built person who has been made to grace-bomb people. Some of us need to get back on track with God's mission to warm our hearts back up for the lost and the needy because this is what community is all about. Take a look at this. Did you know that over 10,000 seed samples for over 2,000 species of plants are stored in a secured vault deep inside a mountain on a tiny Arctic island near the North Pole? The Global Seed Vault stores the seeds of life in case they should ever be lost to catastrophe or cataclysm. Imagine if you were entrusted with those seeds and charged to guard them, nurture them. What if you were the steward of the seeds? Of course, in the kingdom of God, that's exactly what we are. We're all entrusted with the seeds of life, all called to join God in nurturing new life for the new earth. When we hear stewardship, our thoughts race toward money, but God is much more than a distributor of money. If stewardship is fundamentally about deploying the king's resources for the king's mission, then what about all the other resources? Why do we think about stewarding financial resources, but not about stewarding relationships? Our tithe, but not the truth of God. The most valuable gifts God has given us are not financial at all. Our families and friendships, bodies and souls, love and forgiveness, life, breath, the world itself. These too are resources to be stewarded. The greatest treasures in the treasury of the king are not gold and silver. In Genesis 12, God tells Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is the economy of the kingdom of God. God gives to us so that we can give to others. One resource we're entrusted with that will never run out is the grace of God itself. It's entrusted to every believer without exception in limitless amounts. It might be the most precious gift of all that God's given us and the most precious gift we can give one another. Yet we rarely consider how to steward it well for the kingdom. Seeds cannot grow unless they break open their shells. Jesus said, unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. The grace of God is like the water that softens the seed. So powerfully good, it leaves us broken with love and gratitude. Then we can grow and blossom and spread the same grace of God to others. Ask for it, and God will give you more grace to share. The gospel is the power of God, the blessing of God, and the glory of God. If you are the steward of the seeds, and God has given you the healing waters of His grace, how can you nurture growth and cultivate new life for the new world? You never know what might grow from even the smallest seed.
God gives to us so we can give to others. This is one of the themes Pastor Mike brought up last week when he spoke on stewardship, um, the stewardship of finances as an aspect of fellowship. People who are in community fellowship together and, and giving to others what God has already given to us is just one aspect of fellowship. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that sermon, I invite you, I implore you to go online and, and listen to it. What we are talking about today is the stewardship of God's grace, which demands that in community we reach out into the world together. This is our action point for this morning, for you to become grace bombers. I'm going to call the ushers forward right now. So ushers, if you could come. Out of an abundance, someone in our community of faith wanted to give to others what God had already given to them. And doing so allows us to do what we are about to do. We're going to do another offering. But this is a special offering. This is a reverse offering. The ushers right now are going to hand out to every person, go ahead guys, from junior age and up, a reverse offering envelope. Go ahead, yeah, while I'm talking. When you receive it, don't open it. N not yet. This is for everyone who's junior age and up. Please take one. Don't open it quite yet, please. When you do get a chance to open it, when I tell you to, don't rip it. We, we want to keep the envelopes intact and what's inside intact. See, we ask you every week as leadership to invest in the ministry of the church, in the life of the church, to invest in this building, invest in your pastors and in your, and in your workers. Today, we are going to invest to you, invest into you. And we're going to do that through this reverse offering. We're going to get there. We never started out in Medicine Hat to create um, new leaders or to create a pantry ministry or a house ministry. We started all what we were doing in Medicine Hat simply so that we could get grace into the hands of people who needed it. And then God took those people and ran with it. And that's what God's grace does. It, it transforms lives so powerfully. All right. Carefully open up your envelopes, please. Don't rip them. Here's what we're inviting you to do. Inside you'll find two cards. Placed in between those cards is a $10 bill. Yes, that's a real $10 bill. Not one of those fake, you know, like uh, uh, it says a million dollars and on the back it gives you a Bible verse. This is a literal real $10 bill. Now you have a grace, a grace bomb card. Can you put that up on screen, please? Thank you. You also have a yellow how to use your grace bomb card. Here's your assignment. This is your assignment. Turn over the yellow card. How to use card. Step one, prayerfully listen and look for an opportunity to bless your neighbor in a personal way. Don't do it anonymously. Face to face. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Step two tells us, uh, so, so what, step two is tell us what you did by filling out the grace bomb card, that red card. 
and then you return it to the church. Write down what you did, who you did it to, first name, whatever. You don't even have to give us a name. Just tell us what you did, and then return it back to the church in, in, in the following weeks. Matthew 5, 15 says, Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds. We want to hear how you grace bomb people, what, what you did so we can pray for those people. And the step three is we want you to celebrate God's goodness in providing you with that divine appointment. Matthew 5.15 also says, we glorify our Father in heaven. And so from time to time throughout the different services over the Christmas season, we're going to share some of these cards of what you have done with God's grace, as stewards of God's grace. So remember, grace bombs are not random acts of kindness, but they're intentional acts of love. They are face-to-face -face encounters, not anonymous acts done in secret. So take that $10 that we give you, and we want you to take that and go out into the world and dispense grace on others. Show them the kindness of God so that it might lead them to repentance. It may not happen that one day, but it may lead to their repentance. Here are some examples of what Sherry and I have been doing in Lloyd Minister. And we share this to give God all the glory. We handed out cookies to all our neighbors. Simple. We're door to door, knocked on the door, introduced ourselves, gave them a plate of cookies, learned their names, wrote them down. That's what we did. We give poinsettias to some people who were alone at Christmas. We took someone out for a meal, and we just listened to their story. We gave a Starbucks card as a thank you for great service at a business that we frequent quite often. And let me tell you, that lady was blown away by God's grace. Feel free to go over the $10. That's not a limit. That's a starting point. But please, don't feel you have to. If you, if you just want to use the $10, then that's what it's there for. You'll be surprised how much kindness and how much grace can be dispensed for such a small amount of money and time. Now, there are a couple boundaries that you need to hear about before you accept this assignment. Boundary number one, this is not to be used on your Christian brothers and sisters. Don't take your best Christian friend out for lunch. It's not what this is about. Dispensers of grace, leading people to repentance. Second one, second boundary. This is not for your own personal use. Do not go out and buy yourself some coffee and forget about it. This is to be used for God's kingdom. James 2, 8, 9, if you keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Third and last boundary, if you're not willing to accept this assignment for whatever reason, and you cannot commit to following through on this assignment, we would ask you respectively, there's a box on the desk in our lobby. Put the envelope and the money and the two cards back in that box, and we're gonna use it for next service or for next week. No harm, no foul, but we want it returned. Don't put it in the offering. Put it in that gray box that's on uh, the Next Step booth. So by taking and keeping this envelope, you are committing before God and before us, before yourself, 
to spending a small amount of time using this small resource to impact someone's life with grace, pointing them to the author of grace, which is Jesus. 1 John 4.19 reminds us, we love because he first loved us. So go and love others. Drop a grace bomb into their lives and see what God will do for them and for you. Worship team, come please, sorry. I should have called you earlier, my bad. Would you please stand as we have a closing song. This is amazing love. The enemy does not want you to accept this assignment. The enemy does not want us to tell you about this assignment. I want you to take your envelope. I want you to hold it in front of you, and we're going to pray and ask God's blessing upon this. And you can stay seated if you like. You don't have to be standing. Father God, you have called us to go into the world to dispense your grace to people. There are two things holding us back. One, it's the enemy. And we pray against him. Him who does not want your grace to be displayed and dispensed at all to anyone. So he's going to throw up roadblocks to prevent this from happening. Our second obstacle is ourselves, that we would keep our blinders on, that we would forget and forsake that first love that found us, and that we become unwilling to dispense it to others. I pray against both of those boundaries, Lord, that we would be creative, that we would spend time in prayer asking you to guide us to the right person or people to dispense grace upon face-to-face, in-person, and not anonymously. And Lord, that we just stand back and watch you be you and see the amazing things that you will accomplish because of a little amount of obedience. Thank you, God. In your name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed. God bless you all.